I feel like the same with well, my analyst. She lives like maybe 45 minutes if I walk fast. We started doing, because I see her twice a week, and so to take two times out of the week to walk to her house is quite a while, but Zoom is so easy. And then, um, but she's even started telling me I can bring my dog, so I've got like less and less excuses as to why I don't want to do it, but I definitely don't want to go back to doing it in real life. 45 minutes is not an insignificant talking each way. Yeah, but I think it's because I walk my dog at least an hour and a half every day. So it's kind of essentially killing two birds with one stone. But I also don't want to go and um, <laughs> to, to go and see face to face. The dog thing is interesting. Is that an emotional support thing or is that kind of a convenience thing? Um, I it definitely so like a friend of mine had a dog who, um, and he moved over, like he did some studies in France, and so um, my ex and I had looked after her for maybe three years, and I got really used to, like, um, uh, because my my friend's dog was a border collie as well, which is what I have now, and they need heaps of walking, so I kind of got used to, like I'm super not an, even though I grew up on a farm, I'm really not motivated to do outdoorsy um, walking, exercisey stuff. <clears throat> but because of um, having this demanding dog, I got kind of used to being out and about. And then so when he got back and took his dog back, I was like, I want to get my own one. And so I've had Sylvie, my dog, for like she, for four and a half years now. Like we've got her when she's a puppy. And um yeah, she's the best. Like, I feel like it's, it sounds like you're a bit the same. Like I need, um, yeah, if I was having a shit time and I didn't have, um, to walk her every single day, I would definitely not, um, leave bed-ish. And so it's kind of good to have the, um, extra, but also I get like, um, kind of weird, like attachment guilt. Like I'm like, oh, I'm a terrible dog parent. Like I project, like she's the ultimate projection machine. Um, and actually like she's the most spoiled dog in, in Australia. So It's hard though, right? I mean, as a touring musician. I mean, I don't tour very much. I mean, obviously since, well, pretty much since COVID, I haven't toured very much at all. Yeah. But I think probably starting again, um, maybe the beginning of next year. But yeah, I was meant to come to um, America and Europe in 2020 and obviously that um like I got like a um o visa and all that kind of bullshit but that didn't happen but it kind of I think in retrospect that like I've done a lot of like recording and kind of like a lot of stuff's happened at that time that I think um it's positive that I didn't do it then yeah I don't think it would have been that uh, like necessarily the best and also like I've waited so long to do that kind of stuff if the difference between me um it's not that much of a difference for me to wait like six months to a year to do it when you know at this point yeah six months to a year and and you know three and a half years are obviously a pretty different period of time yeah i mean i think i did a lot of touring when i was in my 20s like and also so when I was in a band from New Zealand, it was what we basically did in lieu of touring was we just moved to country. So we moved from New Zealand to Australia and then from Australia to London. And then um, one of the people in 
the band that I played with, who is also an ex of mine, lived in, his parents lived in um, Geneva because his dad worked for the WHO, so he spent a lot of time in Geneva and Europe and for no money, of course, because we'd just borrow their car and drive around. Um, that's how we could afford. So I think for me, I felt like we did so much in, when I was younger that I don't have that kind of drive to travel and tour. But I've, I mean, of course I will and I like it, but it's not something that I kind of um, necessarily think is the be all end all, if that makes sense. But you know how Chekhov doesn't like um, whatever Chekhov says about travel, like, yeah, like home's more interesting. Like I feel like that. Like I don't really have that kind of like wanderlust feeling. I was traveling a lot for work this year. I was on like two to four planes a month, and then the last month and a half, I've I've been home, and I was really, you know, I was looking I was looking forward to it because like traveling. Whereas on you after a while, and you know, and I, I miss being home, and I and I miss the rabbit, and now. I'm antsy <laughs> after about a month and a half. And I think it's just, I think a lot of it's psychological to me because I think that so much of my feeling, you know, all, all of the bad things that I've experienced in the last three years have been in this apartment, this one bedroom apartment. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I get a little bit of like home phobia, to be honest. I understand that. Like it feel, when it feels a bit yucky to um, come back because of bad stuff, I don't like that feeling. The move from New Zealand to Australia, you know, I, I understand obviously a, a, a larger, larger country and a larger market. And Australia to UK, that's a pretty big jump. I think like, so I'm 41. And I think when, so that would have been when I was like, I guess 20. So we moved to Australia when I was maybe 21, 22. And yes, I've been here kind of on and off for almost like 20 years but um I think when so what that would have been in like 2002 or something but I think that um when we were young there was kind of like so Australia is very like kind of American I mean this is also pretty outdated me saying this but like Australia is quite American centric and you know back in pre-internet New Zealand was very like you know UK was like for, for white people at least, was like, you know, there's a bit of like a motherland vibe to it. And there's kind of like a, it felt like at least that there was a kind of a path that you go to Melbourne and then you go to London and then, <clears throat> you know, whatever. But of course, like the age that we're at, that was very much like not the case. But I mean, we had a great time. Like I hated London so much. Like I feel like just everything about it. But um, because we were so close to Europe, we kind of used that as, like, we'd get, like, I don't know, 40-pound flights to Europe and then just, like I said, borrow my um, ex's parents' car and then just drive around and borrow gear everywhere and and basically not only spend money on, like, cigarettes because, you know, they put you up and feed you and everything. And so it was a good opportunity for that. But, um, yeah, looking, looking back, it seems, like, mental because we had no... Like, I think we just maxed out credit cards and like, I wonder what young people would like do now because I feel like this is such a boring topic but cost of living I don't think that you would be really able to do that to the extent that we did these days like yeah we just literally chuck our houses in, quit our jobs go over then come back and kind of start again but yeah I don't know 
don't know if people yeah and always always working like I worked in hospitality as a chef for years and years but still like nowhere near enough to like kind of cover that kind of thing I feel like if you're moving country twice for a band that's that's a lot of commitment and you must have felt that you were on the cusp of something um I think so that band was called Batrider and that was like well yeah we did a lot of stuff but I feel like we recently actually played a show for a festival in Melbourne that um, went really well but it was pretty interesting playing in a band again and navigating um what other people want as opposed to just what I want but I think that yeah to like a certain extent we were probably a bit delusional in that or he thought that you know um because especially the the timing was pretty like we were basically trying to be successful as a touring band when like um streaming and internet was taking over and so like everything the record industry was very much in the throes of collapse at that point. yeah but we were like a we were we were idiots b we were delusional c we didn't really even understand anything about that anyway even if it wasn't collapsing and um <clears throat> i think we just kind of blindly thought that well myself like I, I was by the end i was the only like kind of existing member but I think at that time we were just like, oh, you just, you, you kind of be good, you work hard and you commit. And then if you do that, then you will have a sustainable kind of career. But I mean, to a certain extent, I was kind of right. And that like 20, 20 years later, like I don't, like I just do this, like do music and art for work now. And it's obviously, it's massively, um, not a financial windfall, but it's sustainable, like, but it's not in the same way that I think. Like, I think that with the band, it was more like keeping four, three or four kind of adults the same kind of um, timeline is insane. I don't know. That's, that's difficult to do. I don't know how people do it, really. I suppose people don't. I suppose people just have lineup changes and, um, yeah, or, or break up. It sounds like things just kind of petered out eventually with the band? Uh, it was a little bit of a implode, I, I guess, in that, yeah, so one of the people in the band and myself broke up and then the other person and I were together and then... You didn't learn your lesson the first time. No, 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 no. What's, what's learning? What's this learning you speak of? But yes, that, but that was after 10 years and in retrospect it was massively time for that to happen. And that's when I started doing my solo stuff in, like, uh, maybe year 2011. I think my first record came out in 2012. I was talking to somebody recently who who has been in a band for, you know, 20, probably 30 years at this point, and he recently started playing out acoustically. And, you know, he expressed the kind of the terror that comes along with that, at least initially, you know, moving from playing with a bunch of musicians and having if something goes wrong who is this is this someone someone you heard on the podcast yeah it's a southern california punk band called face to face i listened to that yeah and he's doing and he's doing he's doing painting and stuff there's definitely some parallels but he 
you know, like he's in this like noisy punk band and they've been doing it for a really long time and you get used to it. And then he enters this point in his life where he's going to like stand out in front of people and play an acoustic guitar. It was a terrifying experience. Like it is, it's a very vulnerable experience to do that. Yeah, it was interesting listening to him talk because I guess because he spoke about, um, I guess I could hear, or my takeaway from listening to him was that a kind of um, an adjustment of expectation, but also kind of realizing that he had, had actually managed to, like I felt like he was kind of assessing in a positive way the level of of success, so I think he used that word, that he'd achieved, in that he had been able to spend his life doing music, and I guess, like, I kind of feel the same, but I think my thought was also, like, kind of thinking about that in America as opposed to Australia, too. Like, I feel like in America you can probably be at the level that it sounded like he was at, and it probably is a lot more than because Australia is so much and New Zealand is so much smaller. Do you know what I mean? So it's kind of harder to get that. There's not that. I feel like that, that middle level of success is a bit less apparent here because you're either kind of unknown or you're doing success. You're successful in, you know, in quotations, but then, yeah, I don't know. It was interesting. It was interesting hearing him talk about that though. Cause obviously being from here, I hadn't heard of him. So I was like, Oh, I wonder what this, man's like and so i looked him up on instagram and stuff completely understandably that you sort of went into sort of the financial side of that and, and how sustainable it, that is um because i was speaking specifically of just um being sort of like exposing the side of yourself in front of people you know playing for a first time in front of a crowd without the bands is that's a difficult transition for a lot of people yeah, I think maybe I didn't pick up on that because I don't really feel like that. I think I've been kind of like playing, like performing since I was li- like literally like fourteen, fifteen, and so and even yeah, like I learned piano as a kid, so like you know doing like recitals or whatever. I feel like I think yeah, that's kind of not that's one of the things that like I have many problems, but that's. That's not one of them. Earlier you did allude to that it wouldn't have been the right time, you know, 2020 to come over here and to play Europe, uh, that you that you weren't quite ready and that maybe you've grown or that things have happened to you in the interim that have made you more more ready for that experience. What, Where were you at and, and why wouldn't that have been the right time? You're, you're a, a, an astute listener. <laughs> um, I think... I have quite a lot of problems with, um, well, I guess primarily with like um, anxiety and depression, but also I have quite a um, significant alcohol problem that I manage relatively well these days, but definitely around 2019, um, coming into 2020, that was... Like, I definitely would have been able to do it, but I definitely would have drunk my way around America, and I think it wouldn't have been... um, Like, it would have been fine, but... Like, I'm kind of quite functioning in that, like, if I need to, I can make stuff work, but I think... Look, it probably wouldn't have been the best for 
myself. So I think I'm kind of glad that, yeah, I've always been like, I mean, even in what I've described to you so far in terms of like moving and, and moving around and doing what I've done in the last 20 years, like I'm kind of definitely more inclined to kind of park whatever I need to and to kind of push forward. And I think I'm one of those irritating people that for me, COVID was a bit of an enforced don't do anything, but also I think maybe my age and just doing a bit of, um, or doing a bit slash a lot of work on my own stuff. But yeah, so I think now is probably less likely to end in tears if I tour than would have been in 2020. Early on in the pandemic, we kind of went in different directions. You know, it was, it was like, I described this experience of, 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 of hitting a wall and being at the end of my rope. It sounds like, it sounds like it was actually a healthy period for you. Yeah. Like I, <clears throat> I had a, a year off, um, I'm going to therapy when I, like I'm super into psychoanalysis and therapy, like, <laughs> Um, but I had a year off for the first year. So for 2020, like mostly because I couldn't afford it. Cause obviously it's, I wasn't working and it's super expensive. But then when I went back kind of mostly not necessarily cause I could afford it mostly cause I needed to after a break. Um, my analyst kind of referred to it as if she said, Oh, you know, it sounds like it was a very salutary time for you. And I think it really was just because yeah, I've, like, I've never really been able to have a break from work or, you know, people have died and I've gone to work the same day and, you know, you, you kind of just carry on and on and on. And went. I think if you're someone like me and, you know, opportunities maybe don't seem as kind of, um, what's the word that I want, as um, frequent is perhaps they could be for other people or perhaps um, when opportunities do come, you kind of feel like you don't have a lot of um, agency to, you know, like you kind of feel like a bit more of a slave to um, when things are possible, you know, if that makes sense, then you, like I tend to kind of um, in the past, at least, uh, just do things regardless of whether I make whether it's good timing for me or whether it's good for me. But I, yeah, I, I think in saying that, what I just described, I don't think that's reality. I think that I just um, maybe just treated it like that for whatever reason. When you say things, you mean personal, professional, both? Yeah, I guess you know, like um, if someone's like, yeah, like I guess, like I've always worked forever. Like I think. Yeah, I guess just using our current example of the, the conversation you had with the man that we were talking about, he, um, like, there's not really, like, in Australia and New Zealand, there's not really opportunities to constantly be touring as there is in, like, Europe and America. So the kind of idea of just being, like, a professional musician, you kind of have to hit some kind of certain something to, you know, or, you know, lots of people that I know kind of segue into like either academia or like, um, you know, or they do a lot of kind of grants work, you know, that's kind of more project or, you know, more in the arts world. But, um, you kind of really have to do that because you can't, like, there's only, people do a lot of rural stuff, but in terms, you know, there's not really like a touring circuit or in Australia. And so 
I feel like I'm making it sound depressing, but it's just different, is, I, is what I'm, yeah. And, like, I think if you're in Australia or New Zealand, there's kind of, like, a sense that you, I feel like for me, I've had to, I've always just been quite um, insular and self-involved and that that's kind of allowed me to keep doing stuff. But I feel like definitely at large, and in kind of a more commercial sense, there's always the vibe that you have to kind of, like, do well overseas and then you do well here. It's been long and difficult, but also very rewarding. And I feel like I haven't really made any kind of compromises in what I want to do. And that's um, satisfying. And that's kind of what I anticipated when I was a kid as well. So, As somebody on the outside, I have a very sp- specific idea, maybe of like where you're at in your career and, and when things happen. And obviously things happening over here. Are, is different than things happening on like literally the other side of the world. But it seems like to me from the outside, at least that you hit perhaps a new plateau with the last record. Oh, definitely. I think, but I mean, yes, definitely. And kind of in keeping with what I'm saying, I did like, I think people were like the being on cool rock stars and stuff that kind of reflects back here. And do you know what I mean? Like it kind of does feed into it, but no, definitely. I think that, record for me definitely like I said it's my eighth studio record but um I think that it was kind of elevated by a bit of stuff like so Tony Espy who um produced it as a friend who I've met through music he mixed um an earlier record of mine but then he did all the kind of avalanches and um that kind of like he has done a a few quite notable um, things in his career and he's definitely like kind of more of a high-end kind of producer and my stuff obviously is generally a little bit um, more sparsely kind of arranged but yeah so he worked on this record with me and I think it yes it came up really well and yeah I think it's a little bit, yeah, I don't know, would you, I think that's probably an accurate assessment of it. Like the production is a bit shinier. Of the new record? Yeah, yeah. Emotionally, it's also a very different record. And, and that seems to stem from maybe the place that you were in at the time that you were writing the songs. Yeah, I think my previous records, the previous three especially, were very like, You know, there was there was a lot like twenty nineteen was a bit of a um uh peak in terms of the bad times of me. And that's not to say that like I'm always reticent to say that things, you know and then all of a sudden it got better because obviously not only is that misleading but it um kinda sets me up for a <laughs> Well yeah, and then it's like it's so much more disillusioning when you when you when things go bad again, and you're just like, oh, fuck it. That's I, I'm not any big believer in the power of positive thinking by any stretch of the imagination. And a large part of that is because, like, I am a fairly pessimistic person by nature. He is as well. And he said that, like, oh, it kind of that thing about you, like, putting, I don't know, good vibes into the universe is actually true to a certain extent. Yeah. I... I don't know. I don't know if I subscribe to that. Well, here's what I'll say. I I don't, but I also know that 
I've not tr- necessarily tried that before, <laughs> well, you t- and that I am suffering the consequences of not having at least tried that. Did your friend watch that? Was that um, the Yes Man, that Jim Carrey movie? <laughs> watch, watch that for inspiration. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it was on Netflix or something. Yeah, that would be very funny if he got an inspiration for a like, well, world Jim Carrey. Yeah, I've watched this this not incredible even, film, especially good one. Yeah, <laughs> I think like. Look, um, yeah, I mean, I guess there's, there's obviously some truth. I feel like my partner, um, Simon, refers to um, some people kind of as malcontents. Like, you know, um, it's always something, you know, I feel like... I think, I think it's like, I think a distinction on purpose, and, you know, like not necessarily I'm not liking, like, people, in, but also just, like, just basically there's nothing that will ever... I mean, I don't know, it's, it's his thing, but, like, I think there's a certain truth in that, in that yeah, some people will never be happy with what they have or always be able to find something. But I think positive thinking, um, repelling negative experiences, I don't know if I if I um, can get behind that too much. In his estimation, are you a malcontent? Mm, I don't think so. I think... No, nah, I think... I think I am quite positive. I think I'm just like um, a real melancholic in in the sense that when I am down, I'm just like, there's never been anything good. There will never be anything good. This, like, any time I've thought that I was happy, I was completely lying to myself and it's ridiculous and this is the truest thing that's ever happened. And on a day like today when I'm like, I had a good sleep and... um, you know, it's quite nice to be talking to you. And I'm like, yeah, everything's, I don't know. I don't even remember really what I was complaining about so much when I thought that, um, it was the most dramatic moment ever. The distinction is that for malcontent, it's that all the time. I think I'm using like a Lacanian thing, really like a, a No, no, I know. I'm, I'm asking very specifically about, about his and your definition. I think his is more for people who, these cons. I think t- if I were to try and to find it, I think his is more for people who there's always an external reason why something's gone wrong for them. So maybe it's more of a, like a lack of like responsibility or um, self awareness, maybe or something like that. So it's always like it's the problems. The problems never lying with what the, what they're doing. The problem is always someone's done this or someone's done that. It's not. But yeah, I think. For me, what I'm talking about is I'm very, like, 100% one way or, or the other. I don't know. What I, what, which one are you? I definitely trend more toward the negative. But what's interesting about this is, you know, is, is talking of depression. Um, for me, for me, it's actually a good sign when there's an identifiable external source of depression for me. Like something's happened to cause you to feel bad. You know, like, like in the case that I was telling, you know, the, uh, telling you about at the beginning of the conversation, like those are three, those are like clear bad things that happened. And those were things that put me in the place I, w- I was mentally. And it's a lot more difficult for me or would be a lot more difficult for me to grapple with a far more abstract version of depression. Yeah, I think that's, to be honest, maybe where I'm at, like, these days, in that, 
when stuff is falling apart, it's definitely, I feel like, look, to be honest, I had um, almost like it was like a trump card in the back of my, in my back pocket of like, yes, I am not doing very well at all, but I know that if I um, stopped drinking as much, didn't make such poor choices, um, maybe like, you know, basically did the things that you on paper should do to be better. Then I was like, I know if I did that, I'd be better. And then I did that and then I wasn't better. And it was like, fuck, this this is heaps worse than I thought it was. I think that... Like, overwhelmingly, I am a lot better than I used to be, but, yeah, it's just kind of... It does hit a bit different when you're... When it isn't something that you necessarily can change. It's really dumb. Like, I've kind of ended up back... Like, I remember when I was a teenager, um, like, I've seen, like, a trillion different psychs and stuff since I was, like, 17. And I remember going to, like, my first psych and, like, her talking, like, mindfulness stuff, you know, like and doing CBT with her. And then I did that to know, um, to know success for a long, like till I was like in my maybe 32. And then, and then I did psychoanalysis from then until now. And that was, that, that has been like, I really love that. But then also now I'm kind of coming out the end of it and I'm like, Oh, now I'm just doing like, having to do mindfulness, which is what I was told to do when I was 17. Like just, if you feel bad, just sit with the bad feelings. I'm like, this is the, this is the worst of the of all, but it's kind of bizarrely come full circle. But I think like mental health in general is becoming like, and I'm going to use the word more holistic in terms of the fact that nothing's very, um, things don't tend to be so orthodox these days, but yeah, the, the irony's not lost on me that I definitely scoffed at this, um, you know, 20 plus years ago. None of that is, is strange or surprising to me at all. And, and to a certain extent, I've had a similar experience. And honestly, I think at the end of the day, a lot of it is just that most 17 year olds just, just aren't ready mm. for that. And a big part, you know, a lot of it's hormonal, mm. when you're, you know, when you're 17, mm. that it's, listen, it took me a real, it really until the last year or two, I finally got to a point, and like medication is actually probably a big part of this, but I finally got to a point where I could like actually meditate every day and not just like spiral into this giant pit of anxiety. Spiraling's the big one. I think I'm not, I'm not much like of a meditation, but I can't, I'm not, not very good at that kind of stuff. Um, which is, I get that's totally where obviously, and at least in part, like where alcohol comes in. Cause it's just like, I can't really turn off and I don't mean it like a hundred percent. And I have no, I've got no, like, um, I mean, I have a minor, like, at, like greater, um, political aversion to medication, but in terms of like what, whatever works for people, whatever works. And unf- unfortunately for me, no medication ever really does. Like it, it really does not agree with me, but. Yeah, but I think the stopping the spiral has is something that has become very important to me. Like if, I think, and that's I guess what analysis is kind of pivotal about is like just catching it, like just paying attention and catching when it's happening. And if you can catch it in time, and like it sounds like that's what meditation maybe does, without wanting to put words in your mouth, maybe does for you. Like, yeah, then it stops the 
getting to a point where it's it's too late and you're you've missed the chance to get off the bus and you're sleeping at the depot. It was interesting to me when you were describing some of the some of the the things that you've been through and some of the improvements that you've had during the pandemic during this time where you know you didn't have to worry about other things because obviously the, the world had slowed down because me and and this is this is my spiraling and this is my anxiety that I and this is why I couldn't meditate for a really long time is because like I'm not comfortable in my own head. Mm. And if things are quiet and if I'm not distracted by things, like that's when things can get really bad. Mm. Yeah, look, I think I guess when just when I talk about the kind of coming out of the because I mean Melbourne this is again look this isn't like um a hot take or anything, but yeah, so Melbourne was in lockdown for like a couple, almost a couple of years, and that's kind of when it was a bit. Like, yeah, things were difficult, but also it was like no one was doing anything. Like it was like if you're someone that gets stressed out by plans, if you're someone that gets stressed out by you know being overloaded, like that, and which I kind of am, then that really dialed that down. But then it's kind of been like post um, that kind of stuff that a lot of my problems have re become not re- resurfaced is too strong like um like th- basically that they've uh it's just been time for me to kind of address them again and um yeah i don't i don't know i don't know i don't know it's hard, it's hard and on, ongoing <laughs> the you on this record and the you on the last record are different people that you know that obviously a lot is has has happened to you and the stories that you that you have on the last record are you know a lot of them are dramatically different than I haven't heard the entire record yet but what then what I've heard on this record and I wonder how much of that healing process or that growing process was a direct result of writing those songs last time I think I kind of write pretty compulsively in that, but then, and, but I think that, and this isn't necessarily something that I think about consciously, but it's definitely, um, at least in hindsight also, or always seems to function as a working stuff out. I never like it when people use the word like cathartic for stuff like that because, and I feel like even talking to you to this short extent, you don't, you would be of the mind that, you know, there's, it's not really like you, you do a song or you do something and then it's gone and then you're like, oh, those feelings are out. Um, I've succeeded in purging. <laughs> like it's not that at all, but. It, it can still be a helpful process to write through things. I mean, it is a helpful process to write through things regardless. Yes, I think so. I think I was talking to, I'm recording in a couple of weeks, um, my new record. And I was kind of talking to the man, Chris Townend, who I'm doing, doing it with. And, you know, kind of, we're talking about how he was talking about someone who he's very good friends with, who, had like a really successful um like pop career like um and but who at I think they're a bit older than me they're probably like mid late 40s 
um, looks back on their career and they're not proud of anything they did because they got too much kind of part of, you know, obviously it's a little bit different generation to now, obviously as well, but at that stage we're too much part of kind of like, you know, I guess like machine, so to speak, and that lots of people had hands on what they touched, what they did and et cetera. And we were kind of talking and how like that kind of almost paralyzed that person's creative output because their schedule and everything was so demanding that it kind of left no room for reflection and no room for personal growth and that they were constantly under demands to do more and more and more. So their, um, their kind of, um, their work and their, their work never evolved at all because there was never any, um, pause for thought. Personally, my opinion is I know this person's work and there's a question mark for me around whether they had that in the middle, them at all and whether, whether there was somewhere to grow to exactly. And like whether or not they're, um, like, I feel like you make choices, right? So kind of like if you make the choice to do what they did, like whether if you were in a place where you would make that choice, whether you had the motivation to kind of whether reportage and exploration, personal exploration would, was there, um, motivation question mark. But I think there's truth to what he said in terms of you need the kind of repose to kind of change. And I kind of said to Chris, I was like, oh, you know, for me, it feels like that, you know, you want your work to be realized and you want also to have progress in your work. So I'm really pleased to hear that it does sound like things change because otherwise it kind of feels like if you have a friend that's kind of constantly having the same conversation with you over and over and over again, and you just want them to move, you know, and like be writing about different things. And so I think kind of just to a certain extent consciously, but to a certain extent unconsciously, consciously, that's what I've done with my work is that, you know, be driven to kind of push it forward so that I'm not really I'm not writing about the same problems I had when I was a teen in my twenties, 30, you know, like I want to be writing about different stuff because I just don't want to be having the same conversation over and over and over again. Listening to a lot of punk rock music, I definitely would have begrudged people for chasing success in a certain way and trying to hold on to it. But at this point in my life, I, I you know, I, I don't really begrudge people that, anymore i understand you know i understand people want a certain level of popularity and i think that's okay and i don't think every every song every piece of music needs to be a masterpiece and that's totally fine (laughs) yeah the older i get the more i like the idea of um just being an entertainer and it being entertainment do you know what i mean like i like and so even like in a like for my live shows and stuff. Cause I, I do play, even though I don't tour a lot, I do play a lot and I don't not tour. I don't know why I'm saying that, but like, just, just not like, I guess I'm not doing months and months in a row kind of thing. Yeah. I try and keep it pretty light, pretty try and do some jokes and keep it pretty um, amusing. But like, and obviously this is a bit of a nineties kind of hangover, but I think that, I definitely didn't want to be seen. And this is a bit of a New Zealand thing as well. I think you don't want to be, you don't want to be seen to be wanting to do it, but you also like want to really do it. So there's kind of like a constant kind of undermining of what you're doing. Do what? I guess to achieve, to achieve. It is a very 90s thing. 
the slacker thing. Yeah, and like, and especially like take the nineties thing, like multiply it by New Zealand, where like there's like you know, then you just have like the conundrum where you're constantly undermining yourself and you know cutting your nose off to spite your face and self sabotage, self sabotage, and in a very very um like uh uh with a lot of utility, I think so. Yeah, you get good at it after a while. You do. You really do. Was that yeah. something that you grappled with? Um, like it's difficult to say with me because I think also at that age I probably had a lot of like um, exes against my name anyway, and that like a woman, like it sounds kind of almost um, a bit trite to say these days, but definitely it was different being like kind of in a rock band when I was a teenager as opposed to now. Um, but yeah, being a woman like not being like being heteroflexible, which I never really like grappled with myself, but would have definitely come into play, you know, um, being from New Zealand, um, not being like conventionally really beautiful, <laughs> Do you know, all the things that kind of come with, you know, I remember being in a band when I was like 20 and like, um, the reviews of our shows on like, um, message boards the next day will be like, they are ugly. <laughs> and it's like, do you know what I mean? Like, it oh, was different. sorry. Whoa, 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 whoa. So you said reviews and then you said message boards and those two. Things. Yeah. Oh, I mean, you know, but you, you know what I mean? Like, there was a lot, there was, was a lot like, kind no, of going are, on. I was like, those are like nasty newspapers in New Zealand. <laughs> it's no, true. You're talking, you're talking about some dude on. Ah, uh, no, no. Or y- yeah. Or like, but, but you know, I mean, there was definitely like in New Zealand, there was like one that was the one that like, you know that in, in Australia, in Melbourne, there was one that was the one that it, you know that everybody who was involved in music was on. I'm sure there's equivalents everywhere, but yes, I don't know. It's, it's it's difficult, you know. And then also, like, I have my own personal bullshit from when I was a kid, and like, and then I have my own like kind of stubbornness, and you know, I'm not, I'm my own version of stubborn and dogmatic, and so like, I think there's a lot of, of stuff going. And that has led me to um to now, which which I like now. <laughs> but like, you know, there's probably there's probably an easy way easier way to have done what I have done. The thing about self sabotage generally, and this is a thing that 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 you fi- that you start to figure out about yourself when you, whether it's therapy or you know whatever whatever process you go through, is that a lot of it's only identifiable much later you don't realize that you're doing it to yourself in the moment yeah or you don't care i I guess i think for me i think i've just i mean what's that freud paper there's the freud paper um people who are sabotaged by their own people people who are ruined by their own success i can't remember the name of it but like that comes to mind but also like i think i'm i think that I'm just quite an angry person and I always have been, but I think I'm very uncomfortable with that. So I kind of turn that inwards and that comes like, I take that out of myself, if that makes sense. Like, cause there are, there, you know, for someone like me, there is a lot of things historically to be angry about. And I think that that sits very uneasily. The feeling of being ang- angry all the time is very much at odds with my desire to be a nice person and to be a likable person. And I think that, that kind of comes out in not very um, nice ways. I relate to that more than I care to mention, certainly on this podcast, but the, <laughs> I don't know, maybe part of this is interesting because maybe part of the kind of growing 
process for you, and again, I'm, this is getting back to the last record because I'm much more familiar with that one at this point, is the ability to be angry at other people. Like, you clearly are upset with your mom, and she... <laughs> It's very much on the record, and that's. It seems like that is. Maybe you were deflecting a lot of that towards yourself, and obviously that's not really healthy. And maybe. Maybe it's actually, in a way, it is healthy to go the other way with it. I can never decide. I can. I remember when I was. Um, maybe like eighteen, and I had a girlfriend who was not even that much older than me, maybe like, maybe I was 19 and she was like 23 or 24. Four years is a much bigger difference when you're 19. Yeah. It seemed a lot like she, she seemed a lot more adult than, than me and my friends. But then myself and my friend who was the same age, we were talking about her and we're like, Oh my God, she's so, um, she just blames everything on her parents. If I get to that age and I'm still going on about my parents, kill me basically. And then like cut to 41 and I'm very much still banging on about my parents. But I don't, I feel like it's fine to do that, but you have to be aware of it. I guess there's a song on my new record, which I feel like is there's a song called sometimes I just want to feel bad. And it basically, it starts off. Um, I don't ordinarily quote my own lyrics, by the way, but I must be quite comfortable. It says, uh, starts off, some of you have been boring, I won't name names. And it kind of goes through a list of indictments on like other people. But then the, la- the last line of the song is, um, sometimes I want to forget that I'm broken by concentrating on your shortcomings. And I think that's kind of like, is that like, it's kind of like, yeah, you can be really pissed off, but like you have to be a, able to be called out on it and be like, well, yeah, it's just cause it's, e- it's easier to concentrate on what's going wrong with you and what you did wrong. Being like this comfortable being this personal on record. Is that something that you had to work up to? Again, I keep going back to the re- last record cause I know no, it really no. well. And there's like, you know, that I was listening to it today and like, the title track on that record is a lot. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> it's great. And, and there are a lot of really incredible lyrics and it's, and it's very funny. And like, I'll quote your lyric to you, but I think I'm here in spite of my best effort is like, a, it's a, it's a very funny lyric, but it's, it's, it, it's bare in a way that, that for obvious. And I think maybe good reasons, like a lot of people aren't comfortable being is that is that something that comes with time friends baby i'm scared of time but that won't stop me i think so like even talking to you i try and get my head together because you know you don't want to have like a there's like you want to come across well but also like i don't want to have a conversation where I think, oh, you know, that was a bit of a a weak way to answer or a, a bow out or, you know, you weren't, or you didn't listen properly and you didn't think properly. Like I try and, and maybe that honest, without wanting to be too on the nose, maybe that's like a therapy thing as well, you know, like just kind of 
trying to have a clear, trying to think about it properly. And I think musically, I try and be like pretty economical in terms of, I feel like that kind of makes like in a kind of crafty sense, like I feel like it makes it better. Um, but generally I try as much as possible to kind of say what I mean, like, um, as exactly as possible. Um, and I'm sure there's lots of like, um, psychological reasons why that would be. Um, but yeah. Being as precise with your language as possible. I think so because you know, when it's really nice to hear someone articulate exactly what they mean, there's a, there's a certain sense of satisfaction with that. And I think I admire that and I would like to be able to do that as well. At the same time, something that music, I guess poetry too, but that, you know, that music affords you in a way that certainly like conversation doesn't necessarily is the ability to express something that to you feels really true without giving anything in the way of details. I think, yeah, I think with music, the lack of like that kind of the space that exists and what you don't say is what makes it accessible to other people. And that, um, so you spoke about the title track for my last record and obviously I've gone to great lengths in that to make it as personal as possible. Um, including like dates and, um, names of friends and details that are very specific to me. And I, I've said this to people before, but it really surprised me with that record that people would still come up to me and say, Oh my God, that song, I'm seeing this guy and it's exactly like that. And I was like, quite, to be honest, like quite, Shocked is too strong, but I was surprised because um, I'd just gone to s- to such lengths to make it very specific to myself. But that's kind of what I realized was, yeah, like you, it, it's in that space that people kind of are able to fill in their own. That, I guess that that's what makes songwriting different from memoir. Is that like, because memoir you, is so... Um, it's specific. Ex- expl- explicit and specific for sure. And I think that songwriting allows people to kind of insert themselves, which I think is probably quite nice about it. You know, we were talking about this musician before and, and about, I probably injected into that maybe the idea of like, of, of chasing success. I don't want to imply this as self-sabotage because I don't think it is, but I also, I could be totally off on this, um, but that being so, being so honest about things that people don't want to talk about or, or find horrific you're not setting yourself up to have like a big puppet, obviously, you know, it is, you know, and, and, and it's, and, and, and at the same time, it's, it's really interesting. Cause you know, as I was saying before, like, I think that that last record was a new plateau for you, uh, both in spite and because it was so honest. Yeah. I think, look, I think more, I think when we've been talking about kind of degrees of success, I think, that was definitely very, for me at least, quite specific to my younger experience of being in a band. And I guess also a kind of a bit of a sense of uh, when you're dragging people around, you know, you want it to be worth it for everybody. So kind of a sense of maybe like responsibility or obligation towards the people who are involved in that. But then definitely for my own work more and more. I actually had a dream last night that um, 
someone sang was singing my song, one of my new brand new songs that I'm recording soon on stage, like in a real kind of pop arrangement. And then I was in the audience being like, I wrote that song. <laughs> like t- telling everyone. <laughs> I don't know if this made it over to where you are. I don't know if this is going to have any, yeah, any cultural resonance to you at all. But the song Fast Car by Tracy Chapman. Oh, yeah, you know yeah. That song? yeah. So that was like big song in the 90s. It was like, it's her signature song. And it's like a really deeply personal it's a very sad song. song. It's it's generational <laughs> trauma. It's singing about, you know, a, a, about like a, abuse and neglect and but but a huge but a huge hit for her and now there's a pop country artist who had a number one country hit with the song. It's like a a white guy just generic bland country singer. Don't think of him. Do you know uh Will Oldham, Bonnie Prince Billy? Yeah. Yeah. So I was listening to him on a podcast talking about it, and he and he said something that I thought was like, I think he kind of nailed it. Where he was, he said that he heard it on the radio, and the sense that he got was that, and this is kind of like the Nashville machine that gave him a bunch of songs to cover, and he kind of like he he went through them all and, and did recordings of each of them, and because of that, that song doesn't have a specific personal resonance with him, and that's really interesting to me to hear that like you describe somebody singing a pop version of your song because I like either when somebody's reinterpreting your music, either they find something deep in that song that they connect with or, or they don't. So was Will Oldham talking about it? Like that was the failure of that song was that it didn't, re- it didn't resonate because of that. He was saying like, listen, like, you know, this, this guy is like good at what he does, which, you know, fine. Like I, you know, I, I don't think it's wrong, but that there were, that that he just didn't get the song that there were nuances that he just didn't get. And he was just covering it like covering a song. And there are some songs, this is me speaking, but there are some songs yeah. that you can just cover as a song. And there are some songs that like you, I think that you really need to deeply, that the subject matter needs to really deeply resonate with you in order for you to do a good job at it. Yeah. I mean, I would probably go so far as to say that it's entirely that that you have everything has to resonate with you for it to do anything but yeah I like I pers look I always say that I would like I think that's why my dream was interesting to me because I always say that I, and the song in particular that this person was singing was one that I actually because sometimes so I work by myself a lot because of that I have quite little outside influence and because of that sometimes I like um working to a brief whether it's like a brief of my own design or whether it's like you know like I did a record that I had to write it in three months and perform it on a particular instrument um that queen who stole the sky record was was that in particular and so I feel like sometimes a brief works in lieu of bandmates or collaborators um or anything like that and so because of that, sometimes I kind of mentally play with the idea of like writing songs for other people. And cause I can kind of like, I can, I feel like content notwithstanding, like I know how to put a song together, like in terms of making it palatable. And, um, yeah, so the song that this person was singing in, in this performance was one that I was like kind of fucking around being like, okay, I'm going to write something for like that's not of my experience but like 
And I played it to my husband and he was like, uh, it sounds like one of your songs. And I was like, fuck, I blew it. Actually, on the record that you're familiar with, the Me and On We, I, Full Mood was a song that I wrote trying to write for someone else. And then I was, but the point of my story being like, I do try and write stuff for other people and then I end up getting too attached to it. And I'm like, no, I want that. It's, it's for me. So I, I, I keep them all for myself. When you say write for somebody else, do you mean that abstractly or, or do you mean like a specific artist? I mean like in a, um, in a, um, commercial way like to be like yeah i've written this does this person want to do it but like um i inevitably always end up liking them and keeping them it's an interesting exercise yeah there's liking it and keeping it but then but and then there is not feeling like it's i guess broad enough or adaptable enough for a different person to play yeah see that's kind of what i like fucking with a little bit is is trying to make things broad And I honestly, like, unfortunately, I don't think I'm very good at it. Like, even, you know how do you do it? So I come from, like, a hospitality background, like I said, but, like, do you, I always go to, like, a bar or whatever, right? And I'm like, if I had a bar, I would do this, 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 this. And, and inevitably, the things I describe would make it the kind of environment that only I want to go would go to. And, like, I just consistently re- am reminded by the fact that I've got zero idea of what is broad like sometimes again to my husband Simon like we'll talk about like a certain artist or musician or whatever that's popular and I'll be like but I just don't understand what I need who who likes this like who likes this type of music and he'll kind of try and but he used to own a record store so he's got like vast musical knowledge he'll try and explain to me even sometimes anecdotally about the people that would come into the shop to buy He'll be like, because I'll be like, who would like that? No one would like that. And he's like, that flew off the shelves. He's like, that was our best-selling record of 2018 or whatever. And I'm like, I'm shocked. Like, I have no idea what people like. Yeah. So trying to write songs that people will like is a fool's errand for me, I think. I was talking to, uh, to Carl Newman. I had him on the show, you know, from New Pornographers. And, like, obviously, like, that's a, that's a man who can write a really good pop song. Yeah. And we were talking about, you know, about this whole industry of people and like a lot of like really great and respectable musicians who have had indie careers have like parlayed that into writing for successful musicians. And and I sort of like asked him about that. And he basically said, don't you think that if I could do that, that I would? (laughs) Yeah, it's true. Don't you think that if I could write write a song for you know Beyonce, like I that I would write a song for Beyonce? It's just you can write a really great power pop song, and that doesn't mean that it's translatable. And like, and at least in his case, like that's that's closer than the songs that you put on record to a pop song. I think I think that I could. I'm not gonna lie. I think like if you're, I think it's a great. I think this is a great idea. I think this is an awesome thought experiment, and I want to hear. See, I think I that all you, you get as close as you can get. See, I, I feel like I have. I feel like all you'd need to do is replace a few of the New Zealandisms. You got to sort the accent out, obviously. Like that—that's not—that's not, not going to fly. Replace, yeah, replace a few of the metaphors with maybe like, you know, more um, universal brands or things like that. Maybe, like. I feel like I could do it. Well, that's your homework assignment. <laughs> one day, I, I will come to you. I'll be like, you hear a song on the radio, and it will be one that 
a really rubbish song that I've written. 